Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Today, Gallagher tells old friends don't look back in anger after late winner. Potter flexes his tactical muscles whilst Aubameyang is off and running. We look ahead to the crucial midweek matchup in the Champions League and round up the rest of the Chelsea news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Here we are then, listener. It's the first of our double dose of Cobham for this week. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of the Athletic's finest. Liam Toomey's back with us. Morning, Liam. Pray for Dom. Hello. Mm, yeah, I was saving Dom till second just so he could have a, an extra moment to compose himself. How are you feeling? <laughs> I could still pray for him if he wasn't here. I haven't tipped my hand. You have now. <laughs> all is well. All is well. Seen it all before. See it all yeah. again. Only a game, in it? <laughs> right, we're going to start at Selhurst Park. Here he is. Lovely shifter. Yeah! Conor Gallagher! Expected Supreme! A worldie in the last minute. Back at Palace. He was the hero, now he's the villain. And he might just have won this game for Chelsea. Stunning. It's a really special moment for me to, to get my first goal for Chelsea. And for, for it to be the winner and a very important three points, and um, it had to come against Palace, um, unfortunately. But I'm, I'm really happy with, with the first goal and, and most importantly the win. Really pleased for him. I mean, he's a great kid, uh, desperate to play, desperate to um, help the team. We ask everybody to be ready, and uh, we can't do anything with just 11 players. So really nice for him as a substitute to come on. And, uh, and to have the, the maximum impact, which is to score the winning goal. Nothing like a last-minute winner, eh? The Blues making it 11 in a row against Crystal Palace in a fashion that could accurately be described as dramatic. Uh, Crystal Palace supporter and one-time Conor Gallagher enthusiast Dominic Fifield sent us this succinct voice note at full-time. Bollock. Uh, would you like to expand on that now that a few hours have passed? <laughs> Not really. Um, <laughs> no, look, it's. I, I thought Chelsea for for long periods of the game were were in complete control. I was having a bit of a running squabble with Sai sitting next to me in the press box at, at Selhurst. Uh, he was very very downbeat about most of the performance until uh, until obviously at the end, stinging the tail. I, I would say, however, and I'm going to sound like a whinging Palace fan now, that I am still absolutely baffled that Thiago Silva was allowed to stay on the pitch. Um, and I know that I saw some comments on, on some of the uh, athletic uh, pieces arguing that that was never a, never a red ball offence. I mean, <laughs> because he was too far out and he was then the ball, he was heading away from goal. He, he was only heading away from goal because Thiago Silva pushed the ball deliberately away from goal. So, um, yeah, anyway, I'm not bitter. I'm not, I'm not going to hold that against him forever, honest. 
Um, a lesser man might say also it was Jordan Ayew going through. Well, yeah, but that really shouldn't come into the thinking. No, it, shouldn't. it shouldn't. I mean, I otherwise, you know, Timo Werner would never have <laughs> won a foul in his life. <laughs> uh, well, as Don mentioned, Simon Johnson was there as well for the Athletic. Let's hear what he feels at full time. And so, the Graham Potter era is underway. Played one Premier League game 1-1. Obviously, they had a Champions League game just before the international break, but this really feels like the start of something. Um, it wasn't convincing for long periods, but my word, we've just seen Conor Gallagher um, start his Chelsea career at the club, where he really made his name last season. An absolute welding in the top corner, comes off the bench, refuses to celebrate as it flies in, goes to could do little about it. You can hear the Palace fans booing right now. The referee, Chris Kavanagh, controversial decision in the first half not to uh, send off Thiago Silva when he deliberately handled it. Under pressure from Jordan Ayew, who looked like he could run through on goal. Steve Parrish has already tweeted the minutes of the incident. Palace chairman, of course, furious about it. Um, I'm sitting next to a very uh, quiet uh, Don Fyfield right now. Um, he's, he's looking pretty disappointed. John Pfeiffer, I'd have to say, he, he's the man that called it on both occasions. He, uh, he, he tipped Aubameyang to score within seconds later. He did so with a fantastic first-time finish. That got Chelsea level at one all. After a disappointing start, Edouard had put uh, Palace in front. But he also tipped Gallagher to come on and make the difference. And my word, did he ever. And off that fantastic finish. You see Graham Potter applauding the uh, away fans. Uh, with the uh, Chelsea players on the pitch. He's obviously uh, absolutely loving that two points. His first win against Palace in his coaching career and it's come as Chelsea manager. Uh, he's getting a great reception from the away fans. Um, but uh, it's just the start um, of the Potter era in the Premier League. But this is a must win for Chelsea after what has obviously been a very slow start to the campaign. And it puts them in great spirits ahead of the Champions League game against AC Milan. You just see Gallagher now walking off. He's, he's had a great reception from the Palace fans throughout the game. He's almost apologising to them as he walks off. He clearly uh, loves the place, but uh, I think Chelsea fans love him too now. All right, Liam, uh, we'll get to the Thiago Silva incident in a moment, but, but let's start at the start. Um, Chelsea went to a back four for this game, which caught some of us by surprise, and maybe Wesley Fofana uh, was amongst those. Took them a while to, to get to grips with it, but it is that patented Graham Potter flexibility that we're getting a, a glimpse into. Yeah, I must um, start with the inevitable caveat that I was at a stag on Saturday. <laughs> I did not watch this game live. I still have not seen it in full. I've, I've seen, obviously, all the key moments. But yeah, I, th- I think we're still in the same sort of stable of tactical formations that were used during the Tuchel era, aren't we? And I think it underlines that Potter is looking for a lot of the same things from his players. He wants players that can play in different different systems, different positions, sometimes within games. And I remember talking to Andy Naylor, our Brighton correspondent, who was saying, well, he... I don't know, he almost feels like a guest contributor on Straight Out Cobham at this point. We've, <laughs> we need to have him on quite regularly. Um, but he, I remember him saying to me that Brighton would start a lot of games in a back three and then switch to a back four at various times. So it's, it's clearly something that is prominent in Graham Potter's mind. Uh, and so it, it shouldn't be a huge surprise to see Chelsea start that way. I wonder whether 
He also picked his team perhaps with an eye on Milan. Um, that's one way of looking at it, seeing some of the personnel changes. But I guess you could also say that he's still trying to get the measure of everyone in this squad. And so the notion that he might have a strongest team or strongest 11 in his head is we're, we're probably getting a bit of ahead of ourselves given this is only game number two. Um, but it was an interesting starting 11. And um, I think he's just happy they got the result in the end. Yeah, I think it was maybe coloured also by the fact that Mark Cucurea wasn't available. Maybe that had something to do with it. What I thought it did do, Dom, was inhibit Rhys James and Ben Chilwell. They, it was noticeable that they couldn't get forward as much as they, they would do if they were playing with a back three. Chilwell in particular seemed to be getting to a certain point over halfway then having to stop, check back and play the ball backwards a lot. Yeah, I thought Chilwell struggled a bit over the course of the afternoon. I don't think he was particularly comfortable with any of it. And and that's, you know, I'm not going to, shouldn't jump to too many conclusions on it. He's, he needs to get back into a rhythm of games, etc. And, and, and playing. And he knows he's being challenged now by Cucurello on a, on a weekly basis um, at, at Chelsea. But he looked a bit anxious. Reese James, maybe not as an attacking force early on, but what a performance he put in. I have to say, defensively, I... He was outstanding and just just phenomenal, really. I thought he and and the aforementioned. If you if you had to pick a if you had to pick an emoji to sum up his performance, Dom, would you would you pick a padlock? Um, <laughs> I I would put a di- is there such a thing as a divert sign on uh, on 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 emojis? I don't know because because actually he forced Zaha to the other flank and. Actually, the best chance that Zaha had all afternoon was from the other flank, uh, where Elise cut the ball back to him and Kepa pulled off a, one of a few good saves, actually. He, he, I thought Kepa did OK. But he was... No, look, Rhys James doing what Rhys James does. I mean, I thought defensively absolutely phenomenal and, and energetic as well. And, you know, when the, when the formation switched to something more akin to a 4-3-3 um, after half-time in particular, he did offer a threat down down that, that wing as well, as he was always going to do. I thought he and and the aforementioned Thiago Silva were were, were excellent and and uh, yeah just the strong arm presence that they, that they have in that Chelsea team really sets them apart against clubs outside the top six. So Chelsea started pretty well, but they went behind after Fafana gave the ball away. Ayu whipped in a devilish cross and Odson Edward stuck it in. Uh, Fafana did get better after that, should be said. Then the big controversy, Dom. How come Odson Edward didn't get a second yellow card when he bumped over Kepa <laughs> when he was uh, trying to take a goal kick? <laughs> yes, yeah, so, yeah, so a few people pointed that out. Interesting. Um, look, there are a couple of things on this. I, there was an inconsistency with Chris Kavanagh's refereeing. The inconsistency being around this incident that uh, Jordan Ayew is not penalised for a a little shoulder barge on Thiago Silva. And I don't think he should have been. I get that right. I think Thiago Silva is big enough and strong enough to deal with Jordan Ayew uh, coming at him. But at the other end, there was an incident where Mark Gurry won a foul after a forward committed a very similar type of offence against him. So I'm going to concede there is an inconsistency here in terms of the sort of build-up foul. But the actual handball itself, maybe not the first one, because I know Steve Parrish started tweeting about two handballs and therefore two yellow card defences. I'm not interested in that particularly. The second one is it's, it's brazen and he is a long way beyond Chelsea's back line. He's halfway inside the Chelsea half 
And he is actually, if he's if the handball doesn't happen, he is bearing down on goal diagonally towards goal. He's not going towards the corner flag where the ball ends up going because it's pushed there by Thiago Silva. So it's it's baffling. But look, VAR and inconsistency is just a thing at the moment. Palace benefited at Newcastle a few weeks back when the perfectly good Newcastle goal was was ruled out. And I don't know why that one was ruled out by the VAR. This one, it goes to the VAR who decides that it's not a an obvious error by the referee but it it's thereafter there was a sense of inevitability about everything that happened that Thiago Silva would be the man that set up the equaliser and that obviously Connor would come on and make his impact felt as well so yeah one nil up against 10 men I would have fancied Palace to get something from the game yeah, big moment in the season. It was actually Chris Kavanagh's first game in the Premier League this season. So you think give him a nice steady VAR uh, to help him out. But no, it was Stuart Atwell. Uh, so anyway, Silver <laughs> stays on and then, as Dom says, inevitably sets up the equaliser. That was when Nathaniel Klein got that nasty looking injury as well. Um, Liam, I'm, I've got a theory which I'd like to put forth to you that, that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang could be the low-key striker that Chelsea needed, as in he hasn't come in with a big fanfare. There's not massive expectation on him. And that means that that number nine on his back might not weigh so heavy. What do you think? It's good logic, I think. It's compelling logic. That finish for me, as economically as you could possibly hope to do, summed up exactly why Chelsea want Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Or just need something like that. They need someone like that at the point of attack who just isn't thinking about taking a touch as soon as the ball is coming over to, over to them in the air, they formulate a plan on instinct to spin and hit it, and he executes it so well. Goalkeeper just has absolutely no chance. It's a, it's a world-class finish. The one thing I want to know, and I didn't, obviously because I've seen highlights, I didn't see the passage of play leading up to that. Did Thiago Silva spend a prolonged amount of time as an outside left target <laughs> man, or was this just a, a sort of broken bit of play? There'd been a corner, Chelsea corner, okay. that Mason Mount had taken short. And because he's that slow, he hadn't actually got anywhere back towards the halfway line, he, despite the fact that the, the ball is channeled. It's a great crossfield pass from Reese James, but he is still up there. And I, I was watching, as that ball came over, I was watching Nat Klein watch the flight of the ball. And I was thinking, well, you're never winning that head about. You're, you're just not winning that at all. And unfortunately, he, he's, I think it must have been Thiago must have landed on him. And he's, I mean, he actually ended up getting stretched off with a very nasty gash in his shin but I don't know whether that was a whether that was an impact injury from Thiago Silva's boot as it came down or whether he's landed awkwardly and I dread to think but has he has he braced that shin and snapped it I don't know we're finding out it's it's not it's not good he he needed oxygen and was taken off on a stretcher straight to hospital so not not great Mm, yeah I might need oxygen after that description uh get well soon Mr. Klein, obviously. Uh, so anyway, we go into the second half and Chelsea kind of huffing and puffing in the way that they do. A couple of problem areas, Dom. I don't know if you thought this as well. I thought Jorginho was, was particularly ponderous. Kovacic clearly didn't look to be 100% fit. And, and then you've got Havertz and Mount again, both looking particularly out of form in front of goal. Maybe in front of goal, yes. Um, I, I, I thought they did quite well in other areas, though. I thought they were they were a nuisance and... There was an opportunity there because Palace played only one defensive midfielder. So all their Chelsea's attack-minded players probably felt they had a, a chance to bypass Cheek de Coure and, and get at that Palace back line, which had obviously been rejigged um, significantly pre and during the game. 
I don't know. I thought I thought Mason once he dropped into the three in midfield was actually more of a nuisance in that in that second half. I thought he 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 commanded a bit more authority in there. Um, you know, I, he should have scored that first half header. I mean, it, that was that was the one. If he put that, it was a very very simple chance, and he put it wide of a post when when the goal was gaping. To be honest, and that would have given him the confidence to sort of build on the momentum he he'd gained with with England and that that cameo against Germany. But I, I really wouldn't worry too much about those guys. I think that they're all just trying to to work out where they fit into this system. They started off in that game, those two playing behind Sterling and Aubameyang effectively. And although we've, we've said that we are using the sort of tweaks to previous formations that, that they've played under Thomas Tuchel, it, it still looked a bit alien to them at periods in the first half. And I thought they settled a bit better after half time, and, and, and Chelsea felt as if they had control of the game. What I'd like to see at some point this week is for Mount Andor Havertz to to score an absolutely brilliant goal and then peel off their Chelsea shirt to reveal they've got their national team shirt <laughs> underneath. The that might be what needs powers. to happen. Yeah, we're we're talking drastic solutions here. <laughs> uh, here's a tweet from Lynn to Dom. He says, "Can you lock CG in the dressing room, please, Dom? Just till the coach leaves." To which Dom replies, "Considered it done. Uh, what happened there then?" Well, I did. It was his post-match. Oh, okay. Uh, fair enough. So he comes off the bench and we all know what's going to happen. Uh, it's an absolutely astonishing goal that he scores. I think the goalkeeper might have got gloves to it. But, I mean, firstly, Dom, it was a great goal. But secondly, how on earth he's managed to not celebrate his first goal for the club that he's supported all of his life, that he's been at since he was, what, eight years old, that all his family are bonkers about. What <laughs> incredible restraint. I have to say, there was something... I'm sure Simon's brought this up as well. Um, something very odd about the whole scenario around this. I, I mean, there have been a fair few Chelsea loanies who have come back to Crystal Palace over the years and been afforded decent receptions, but I've, I've never known anything like that. Pre-match, standing ovation from the home fans. Um, as he walked down the touchline just just to get take his place for the first half in, in, on the bench, standing ovation again. Obviously, the fair few people. Amazing reception when he comes on as well. Even despite the fact that it was obvious what was going to happen, um, a wonderful, wonderful goal. I mean, a bit. He, he even said that it was a, there was a bit of fortune getting away from JP Mateta, but it was just that the finish was superb. I spoke to a, a, a goalkeeper on on Saturday night who did say that that possibly Guaita could have. He may look back at it and, and, and regret not pushing it past the post. He almost went with his wrong hand and pushed it into the net. But it was it was an absolutely stunning, stunning finish. Um, but even then, after the final whistle, as McGallagher comes off, he's given another standing ovation. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, and... I mean, this isn't a Palace podcast, but if I was, if it was a Palace podcast, I would be asking serious questions as whether this club is too nice. <laughs> I really would. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Anyway, look, it was, it was superb, but it does show that the impact that he had last year, the type of character he is, the fact that he put in so much effort as a Palace player. He did. He puts in so much effort every team he plays for, and every opportunity he has to, to show what he can do, and and and. You know, he will thrive under Graham Potter. He will be given opportunities in his correct position, in a position in which he will thrive. And and 
it's no surprise that that he scored on Saturday, but I I suspect there'll be a lot more goals from him in the weeks and months to come under Potter. Shades of Lampard at the Etihad in those descriptions from Dom, but for <laughs> yeah. a one season low knee. I think <laughs> I, I think we probably would see something similar if Chelsea ever played Wigan in terms of the treatment Reese James would get, given that he he ended up captaining them on the final day, <laughs> like yeah, being awarded chance. keys to the town and all of this sort of thing, and, and donating a load of money to keep them in existence as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is it, it is quite a surreal situation. I think born out of the way modern football seems to be working now where it's not just former clubs it's former loan clubs there can't be any complaints either from Palace I mean this is how the loan system you know what you're buying into when you bring a player in on loan you know you're not going to get him full time so it's, it is what it is um, and even I, I do believe that even Par- Steve Parrish's his tweet that mentioned Conor Gallagher was heartfelt I think that was genuine there is a genuine sense of you know Palace Palace appreciate they played a part in his development, I think, because he came on leaps and bounds last season and he was superb. And everybody there hopes that he goes on and gets to that World Cup. The other thing is I I don't think you can be too hard on Guaita for not saving it. When you hit a shot with that much narrative, (laughs) you can get a hand on it, but there's no saving it. swerves naturally, I get it. The goalkeeper is duty-bound to touch it, but but not to save it. Um, Liam, it's clearly a massive moment for for Graham Potter and for Chelsea, but for Gallagher in particular, because of the way his season had started, you know, Leeds, first start, whole team were terrible, he got overran, sent off against Leicester. He needed something like this. Yeah, big, big moment. You can see that he's been, a big part of it is he's been trying too hard. He really, you can see how much he wants this. He wants to be a long-term Chelsea player. He wants to have that career that he's dreamed about since he was a kid. And he knows what an opportunity this is. And that if he if he messes it up, he might not get another one. Um, and you add to that the fact that I think in the early weeks, obviously he was in a struggling team with all the problems we know about from the tail end of the Tuchel era. And he was also not playing his best position. He wasn't being put in the best position to succeed, playing in that deeper role, asked to play, you know, 70, 80 passes a game in the midst of a fierce press from Leeds or Southampton or one of these other teams that just wants to get about you. In Potter's tactical system, the way he looks like he's setting up now, he looks like he sees Gallagher as someone who operates further forward. And the closer he can get to the to the final third I mean usually closer than 25 yards um, but the, the more he can get into the box I think the the more valuable he'll be for Chelsea and it's just the bigger question is just whether that's the best system for Chelsea as a whole but I think it's it's pretty clear that's the that's the best position for Gallagher to shine individually and I think if, if they do keep playing that way then he's got a real chance to have a big season for Chelsea Let's hope so. Well, that was the first of nine games for the Blues in October. The next is in the Champions League on Wednesday night. We'll preview that after this. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Chelsea versus AC Milan at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday. Then a huge game for the Blues who've taken just a solitary point from their opening two Champions League group stage games this term. The first time the teams have met since 1999 and only the third ever game between them. Um, Liam, this is just simply must win, isn't it? They've got to take at least four points from, from Milan and you'd think they have a, a better chance, obviously, of winning at home than they will in San Siro. So no margin for error here. No margin for error. And you would think if... I mean, if they lose it, they're in massive trouble. If they draw it, I think they, at the very least, you can completely say goodbye to topping this group, and then you are just absolutely playing for second. Um, but it's a it's a really hard game. It's a really hard game because Milan are in in confident mood. In Rafael Leal, they have the best player in Italy right now, who Chelsea know very well, of course, having tried very hard to get him over the summer. He he can be a difference maker on his own. That's going to be. I think a really fascinating battle, him against Reese James. But they're they're just a very, very confident team that knows exactly what, what they're doing. And Chelsea are still trying to find themselves under Graham Potter. And then you add to that the narrative of Tamori coming back to Stamford Bridge, Olivier Giroud, who has been so, so reliable for Milan since he's been there, consistently scoring in big games and, and doing all the target man things. I think it's going to be... A really tough test for Chelsea. Certainly the biggest test Potter's had so far. And it's one of those that can go either way. If they win it, then you start to get a sense of real momentum building. And and it's something that Potter can work with and carry into the rest of this group stage campaign, but also really start going up the Premier League table. But if they don't win it, then certainly the European campaign looks in danger of drift and that could bleed into the, the mood of things domestically. Uh, we are still in the stage, Don, where we're fascinated by the team sheets when they drop. Based on what you saw on Saturday, would you expect Chelsea to stick with a back four? And you mentioned Kepper. I thought he did pretty well too. Are we saying that he's going to retain his place? Mendy wasn't even on the bench on Saturday, which would suggest that uh, he's not going to be 100% by midweek. Yeah, he he sounded pretty cautious on Kante and uh, Mendy last Friday. So it'd be interesting to see whether... whether either is in contention with this game obviously if, if Kante is fit then they could very much do with getting him back into that midfield I wonder too whether we might see Koulibaly in this game just because of his experience in in Italian football and used to playing against Milan um, it might be the time to sort of blood him under under Potter I thought Fofana was very, very shaky at the weekend, if I'm honest. And uh, this may be a big occasion where you, you call on your experienced players, and you might even you might even have one of the most experienced back threes in Chelsea's history. Arguably, if you have Aspilicueta, uh, Thiago Silva, and Koulibaly in there, then then that would be that would be quite something. But anyway, we'll we'll, we'll see on that. I think they they could do with with having Kante back in that in that midfield. Um, and if if he's being if he was rested on if he wasn't deemed ready enough on Saturday, then maybe with a you know a couple of extra days training in his legs, he he might be ready for Wednesday. 
If he's not, Liam, are you putting a, a Ruben or a Gallagher alongside either Kovacic or Jorginho just to give a bit more energy in that midfield or are you, are you sticking with Kovacic and Jorginho? I think it's an interesting dilemma because the pragmatic choice would be Kovacic and Jorginho. The understanding they have together, playing through pressure, getting the team moving um, and just providing some semblance of control in possession They've been in so many big Champions League nights, it, it would make a lot of sense. But at the same time, Gallagher is showing a bit of form. He's building a bit of confidence. I think Loftus-Cheek has been generally good when he's played this season, regardless of whether it's been at right wing back or in central midfield. So it's good It's good for Potter to have options. He would prefer to have Kante. <laughs> that would just simplify things a lot, given how amazing he is. Um but I, th- I think a two versus a three-man midfield is an interesting question as well. Whether they stick with what they did from the start against Palace or maybe do more along the lines of the way they set up against Salzburg. Kukurea may well have recovered from his illness by then as well. And he's another good option to have because he can, if you have him in your back three, then you can that can become a, a back four very simply, very easily. I mean, it's, it's uh, that ad- adaptation that, that we hear all the time about. Potter teams seems to work better when you've got a, a player that A is used to playing under Potter after a year at Brighton and, and and B who is naturally adaptable as it is. As for AC Milan reigning Italian champions won 3-1 at Empoli on Saturday only beaten once so far this season in the Champions League they took a point from Salzburg and beat Zagreb 3-1 at home. I was just going to say on, the, on, on reunion chat I was going to ask Liam a question and put him on the spot have Chelsea requested that Tiamui Bakayoko should not feature in this fixture <laughs> <laughs> given that he's on loans no Milan have <laughs> <laughs> he was on the bench at the weekend didn't come off against Empoli but, um, but uh... the last time I saw Tiamui Bakayoko was when I went to Reggio Media to do the Tamori piece and I was milling around the mix zone um and while I was waiting for Tamori, I saw Bakayoko effectively in in his pants, um, just surrounded surrounded by his friends, and I, I think his I think his agent smoking a cigar. <laughs> and uh, I don't know whether life's still that being isn't as a good, euphemism. It's good to him. <laughs> no, smoking a literal cigar. Um, I don't know whether life is being as good to him now as it was then. It, he's not playing for Milan. He's not important to them, but he's still there because of contractual reasons but Milan isn't the worst place in the world to be earning a footballer's salary Finally on this then Liam who's more likely to score Tomori or Giroud? (laughs) Um, Well the last time Tomori played against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge he scored an own goal so uh, I think as long as he avoids that he'll be happy it has to be Giroud doesn't it his record in big games and I've been watching Milan highlights semi-regularly over the last few months and he's still scoring he's still popping up when he's needed most so he's someone that Chelsea are going to have to be very worried about 49 goals for France now Olivier Giroud I thought you were going to say 49 years old (laughs) (laughs) they're still debating in France whether he should go to the World Cup I think well Dedier Deschamps keeps offering these cryptic answers about whether he's going to pick him or not 49 goals Liam, you'll be going to this as will I. This, this is one of those games, isn't it? That yeah, I mean, it's going to be difficult getting there. But once you get there, this is kind of why we do the job, right? Getting to see AC Milan under the floodlights in the Champions League. I mentioned it's a long time since Chelsea have played them. It should be a special occasion. Yeah, and I, I, I've got the feeling in the Champions League in recent years that there's been a lot of increasingly tired matchups. 
you get a lot of big clubs that play each other every two years or so, and it and it just it almost feels like an extension of domestic derbies in some cases. Chelsea PSG is one that stands out to me as that became far too tired. But there's a real sense of occasion to this, um, and not just because of the Chelsea links at, at Milan and and vice versa. I think it's, it's Milan's a grand old European club, the kind that Chelsea always used to measure themselves against. You can revisit the uh, the stories of Dennis Wise at the San Siro. Um, I think younger Chelsea fans can can go away and look that up. There might even be an oral history of Chelsea's first Champions League campaign on the Athletic somewhere that you can dig out. Um, so yeah, it's it's a fun matchup, and the fact that we've got the home game and then the away game immediately makes it feel like almost a knockout tie. Um, especially with the stakes on the Chelsea side of it, so it, it should be one to really savour. You'd think so, wouldn't you? You'd think anybody would love to be there. Producer Lucy says, I turned down a ticket because I'm too stressed to watch it in person. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll do that for you and report back on Thursday, Lucy. Hey, listener, how's this for a bonus treat? We were told, just as we started recording, that we get the opportunity to speak to a Chelsea legend about the Blues versus AC Milan. And of course, we accepted that gratefully. It is Joe Cole who joins us to talk about this massive matchup. Joe, part of BT's coverage. And it was a real treat to have a chat with him about Chelsea versus AC Milan. Joe, after the, the Dinamo Zagreb game, you said you were more interested in your Chinese takeaway than, than Chelsea's performance that night. I, I don't know if that's more praise for the for the actual Chinese than it was criticism of Chelsea. Um, wasn't that much better against Salzburg. So, so what are you hoping to see from the Blues on Wednesday that you've not seen so far in this Champions League campaign? First of all, it was more interesting Crouchy's Chinese. He, he, got the, he got the order right. I got it terribly wrong that night. It Awful was, when that happens, yeah, isn't it? Oh, just had food envy. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's been stuttering, hasn't it? It's been stuttering. Chelsea started the season. You know, the pre-season was, you know, new owners coming in. I always, I always say it, it doesn't affect the players because it didn't affect me, but I think it, it obviously can affect players, you know, and, you know, I was probably for myself, it, it was just ignorance is bliss. You know, once I, had, I was training and playing, everything else was irrelevant, you know? Uh, so I think the, the new ownership, there was a little bit unsettling the ship and then the manager coming in, getting, losing his job, you know? So the, the season started, Chelsea limped out and it wasn't great. And in the champions league, you don't get a result in the first two games in the pressure's on, you know, there's no way, no way Chelsea need to win uh, Wednesday night and they need a performance really because, you know, it's these, these players will, will judge themselves in these type of, you as a player, you judge yourselves in these games. These are the games you want to perform in against the big, big names in Europe. So um, the players will be, the players will be up for it. The players will be wanting to do well. And I, like I said, this group of players have, have, have achieved a lot. You know, they, they have, they really have, they're young, they're a young group. And I, you know, I think they, they're full of good characters. So I don't, I think they'll, I think you'll see Chelsea, you know, leading up to this World Cup when we have the break, I think they'll go on a run now. And I think it's going to start Wednesday night. I think the lift you get from scoring a winning goal in the last minute is huge to a group of players. It's something that can just spark a run. And I think, um, I think Wednesday night you'll, you'll see that. 
Yeah, big, big win on Saturday. Um, lots of Champions League experience on the pitch, not so much in the dugout. Obviously, Salzburg was uh, was Graham Potter's first game as a coach and it also his first game as Chelsea head coach. Uh, are you excited about, about the appointment of him? What, what did you make of the decision to, to make the change? And, and do you think he's got what it takes to turn things around for Chelsea in the Champions League this season? Well, for, first of all, like, I mean, you never like to see a manager lose his job, especially someone who's, who's, who's like Thomas Tuchel, who's... A, a good man, but a great manager, you know, and then you're wondering where, what direction are Chelsea going to go in? And then with, with Graham Potter, it was like, wow, that's a bold move. You know, he's, he's, he's clearly, he's on his journey and he's, he's got a fantastic trajectory. Is he Sweden, Swansea, Brighton? I love the way his team's played. He's exciting. He's young. He's English. He's fresh. He's got ideas. He brings, he brings a lot to the table. But it just, you know, I think any Chelsea player, when they first started considering where we're going, they probably wouldn't have put Potter as the obvious choice. But it shows to me that the owners, this is going to be a new regime that's going to be built on stability and a, um, something functional, cooperation, collaboration. You know, they want to be involved. So it's really exciting. You know, it's really exciting as to see where we're going to go. On these two games against Daisy Milan, we've spoken on, on the podcast earlier about it kind of feeling like a knockout tie because it's the, the match day three and four where you play the, the same team back to back and because of the position that Chelsea are in. That that kind of adds to the spiciness of, of these two meetings, doesn't it? They're so important. Anything, uh, you know, anything less than four points, I think, puts us in such a precarious position in the group, you know, and that's what Champions League football is like. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not ideal. But it's, it's like it's like a five furlong horse race. If you don't come out lively and you get boxed in, you can you can be out of the race before it starts. And that's the Champions League. So they've come out the traps. We ain't we ain't took the bend well, but now we've got to play AC Milan. And I think four points is is the is what we need to take out of these two games. And obviously winning at home is is gonna be vital because the San Siro will, will be electric. Yeah, be a magnificent atmosphere in both games, I'm sure. Uh, Joe, before we let you go, let's yeah. uh, let's just finish on a positive. How many are Chelsea going to win by on Wednesday? Uh, I think it's big. I, I I think three or four. I think Chelsea will really. I think this will be the. This is the. This is his. This is the game for him now. He's had time. Chelsea go and win this game. All right, you heard it here first. Joe Cole on straight out of Cobham. Thanks so much, Joe. We look forward to your coverage of the game on Wednesday. Thanks very much. Cheers. Joe Cole there on Straight Out of Cobham. Thanks very much to Joe and for BT for setting that up for us. Remember, you can watch the game exclusively live on BT Sport 2 from 7 o'clock on Wednesday. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hi. 
Uh, right, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the Dev squad drew 2-2 at home to Leicester on Saturday. Charlie Webster and Amari Hutchinson got the goals for the Blues. Hutchinson's had a really good start to the season. Uh, Casey McAteer's brace, including the equaliser, 11 minutes from time meant the points were shared. Means Chelsea are seventh in the PL2 table after seven games, eight points behind leaders Man City. Uh, that team begin their EFL trophy campaign on Tuesday. They face League One side Oxford United at the Kassam Stadium. Former Chelsea youth Lewis Bate is on loan at Oxford from Leeds could feature in that one. Uh, there was a crumb of comfort for Dom after the under-18s lost to their counterparts from Crystal Palace. 3-2 the score in this one. Leo Castledine and Harrison Murray-Campbell got the Chelsea goals. The Blues seventh in the under-18 Premier League. What about the kids? <laughs> That's the real quiz. Uh, Chelsea are in for Christopher Nkunku. Liam, tell us more about him and, and your piece there on, please. Yeah, so this this was a story that broke towards the end of last week that, that Chelsea believe they have an agreement to sign Nkunku next summer, which is rather keen, you would say, um, given that we're still sort of seven months ahead of the window opening. But he's someone that they've been looking at for a long time. He's certainly a longer term, a potential longer term solution to those scoring problems than you would say Aubameyang is. Last season, he was spectacular for RB Leipzig. Fans might consider that slightly familiar. Chelsea are buying a scoring sensation from... Mm, I, I, a cold shiver just went down my spine yeah. when you said he was fantastic for RB Leipzig. Yeah, a, a scoring <laughs> sensation, a transition menace in the Bundesliga for RB Leipzig. Um, I think people, some people might be having Timo Werner PTSD, but um, he is a slightly different player. And I think he's a slightly different player in certain particular ways that are quite important when you're talking about how he might translate to the Premier League. I think he's a lot better technically in small spaces. I mean, this is a guy who started his career as an attacking midfielder, winger. He's not quite as fast as Werner, but he's he's quick enough. But he's he, he's a much better ball carrier, much better linking up. And he's really advanced in the last year or so as he's transitioned to more of a striking role in terms of moving without the ball and stretching defences and taking up smart positions. He's actually, we, we we looked as part of the piece at his statistical profile, and he's most similar to Raheem Sterling of Chelsea's current forwards. And so I, th- I think he's got, he's got the potential to be a very good Premier League player, but you never, ever know when you're looking at Bundesliga players. It's, it, it's such fertile ground for attackers, that league. And it is just such a different challenge in the Premier League. But... He's an exciting player, and if Chelsea get the deal done, he would be, I think, an interesting addition to to the league as a whole. So if you want to know about Nkunku, the player, go check that piece out, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't a subscriber. You can also read more on the mechanics of the deal in David Ornstein's Monday column for The Athletic. Uh, Dom, how's your piece on loanies and why they will break your heart and should never be trusted coming along? Just needed the finishing touches. <laughs> <sighs> um, there's the, the Graham Potter University years and Ghana uh, piece should be out hopefully Tuesday, Wednesday this week. Um, and then I want to try and do something on um, the mechanics of playing in a back four or a back five and what that actually means um, specifically to to defenders, centre-halves, wing-backs, full-backs, etc. 
Good stuff. Uh, you can also check out Simon's piece from Selhurst Park on Saturday, where he talks about Graham Potter's tactical flexibility and also the concerns he's got in midfield. OK, that'll do us for today. We'll be back on Thursday when we'll be talking AC Milan and the highly anticipated return of Diego Costa to Stamford Bridge <laughs> this coming weekend. That should be a lot of fun. Until then, many thanks to producer Lucy, to Dom and to Liam for their contributions today. We'll catch up with you later in the week. Bye for now. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.